Hey everyone, welcome back to That's on the Book. I'm your host, Agent X. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please remember that no AA member, including myself or any guest in the show or anyone in a meeting, anyone speaks for AA as a whole. The only aim of this podcast is to be helpful. Please remember you can get in contact with me or any guest on this show at uh, that's not in the book at hotmail.com. We have a baby. We have a baby. There wasn't a baby there when we just prayed. <laughs> is this your baby? Obviously. <laughs> Yes, this and is he's my baby. seven months old, turning seven months. Yeah. Hi, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'll tell you what. There's something about mothers and Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, so I don't know how long you've been sober. I'm assuming longer than he's been alive, though. Yeah. Um, I had little tiny kids when when I got so, and I mean like like little two to eight, like these three little itty bitty people, and and my husband, um went away. He, I, I had forced us to move back to America from Australia, uh, just as part of my relocation tactics of trying to recover from alcoholism. <laughs> like, this is why it's going to be different. The country is wrong. Not, not my alcoholism. It's the country of the, of Australia that is wrong. Mm-hmm. We have a big drinking culture here. First of all, Beer here is like for a case of beer is like $57. So and cigarettes, by the way, are like $37 a pack. So, and oh I'm not God. kidding for a pack of cigarettes is over $30. So when I first moved here, I remember it was eight years before I got sober. And um, don't worry, he may be entertained just by looking at me. I'm very shiny. Like He's like, what is she? <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. See, he likes me. It's good. He'll sit here entertained the whole hour. So um, when we first moved here, I had, so I met my partner, we met and eloped and moved to Australia within seven months of meeting each other. So, I mean, that's a, I'm a good time. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) And um, moved to Australia. And when we first got here, my drinking was out of hand, but I do believe falling in love is one of those reasons to like lessen the blow of alcoholism. It's it can give you one of those pauses. Having a child can give you a pause. Like these big life events are things that can give you a pause to the severity of your drinking. And it mm-hmm. did for me, you know, we still drank together, but um it kind of gave me a little bit of a reprieve from the chaotic drinking that I was doing. Um mm-hmm. So when we moved here, I knew alcohol was a problem, but I was in love, so it wasn't a huge deal. And I saw the prices. I was like, $50 for beer and $40 for cigarettes. Well, I'm just not going to. And I think that was the first time where there was some real justification in my change of mind. You know, I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. how much money do you make, sir? It's fine, isn't it? It's fine. It's fine, right? It's fine, fine. I'll just, it's fine. I'll just, it's fine. (laughs) And so it didn't stop. You know, I think I I tried to quit drinking. That might have been the only like real solid week uh in that early stages where I was like, I'll stop, stop. And then I'm like, no, no. That's the justification, you know? You can do that with spending yeah. money today, huh? Like you yeah. don't have any money, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be okay. It's where I go like, oh, God'll take care of it, you know? Don't worry, <laughs> God'll show up. <laughs> That's probably the best one that I do it for is justifying spending money, you know? Like, oh, oh yeah. God's we've eaten every day. It's fine. Am I really trusting though? (laughs) Don't worry, babe. It'll be fine. 
Um, yeah. So having a baby in that seven months time, like it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing that you can be sober as a parent. Yeah. Do you have any other children or just him? I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and he's my youngest. Same. That's kind of my little Mm -hmm. profile of children at the time as well. Except Mm -hmm. now they're all nightmares. I'm just kidding. They're totally (laughs) one out of three. It's fine. That's one of my fears. (laughs) Well, here's the deal, okay? So everyone everyone has heard me go through hell with my child, ups and downs and crying and like, oh, it's great. No, it's horrible. Oh, it's wonderful. Kill me, you know? What have I known since the first day, however, because of my recovery, is that every single thing that I have been through has been used to help somebody else in the future. And yesterday we had a new big shift in everything that's been going on as well. And it was like, and right now I'm at a zero of stress through this whole thing, like, I'm actually great. I'm really optimistic about things that are going to happen. And it just kind of, God doesn't care about my panic. He just is like, just shut up. Everything's gonna be fine. Like, shut up, you know. So when I get myself all riled up today with fear, because life, fucking teenagers are terrifying. Mm-hmm. When I get myself all riled up with fear, in the back of my head today, I know it's going to be fine. I do. I know it's going to be all right. Like, ugh, it doesn't seem all right, but I know it is even when I'm like wildly panicking. And the other thing is like everything that I've been through has been used to help another alcoholic to this day. There isn't anything that I've gone through that like I haven't owed an amend for or really fucked up or huge life events that haven't been able to be brought back around for somebody else. So it's like, when you have a teenager, you call me, (laughs) I'm going to walk you through it. (laughs) And that being said, like, I have two people in AA who have been walking me through this. They are literally pulling me by the hands through all this, the fear and the pain and the bullshit very calmly and lovingly as we get to do on the other side of, of whatever it is that we've been through, you know? So you just enjoy that cute little pacifier face. Like he's just sucking away. Like, so what adorable child. That's so cute. So you and I met, um, through one of our friends on Facebook who started an, a mother's in AA group, all that shit I, I'm always added into and I never want to participate. But that mutual friend of us is, she is adamant. She is like, no, no, you're going to do this. <laughs> and I have a couple friends like that in AA where they're like, oh, here's your service position. I'm like, fuck. Like, here's what you here. You're a moderator here. God damn it. But like, what's the side effect? Awesomeness. Don't, yeah. Aren't you having a great Absolutely. time doing that? Like, oh yeah, and meeting yeah. wonderful people, yeah, and um, growing spiritually. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's how I talk about growing spiritually. I'm like, oh, you're connected <laughs> to God and have spiritual growth all the time. I'm like, yeah, a spiritual awakening, disgusting, right? Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> spiritual yeah. awakening. I thought this would be more om, like blissful. <laughs> I thought there'd be more like psychedelic hallucinations to God. (laughs) It's not. It's a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I want, I just want to be Zen, like a, like a monk, you know, just really chill. (laughs) That's not the spiritual experience on offer. God damn it. (laughs) No, it's not. 
And you know what? I hate to I hate to say this because it sounds really rude, but the people in AA that I do know that have determined to go that route where they're like, no, no, I need the the red dot on my forehead, like trips to India with the meditation gurus. God, they aren't really staying sober, you know, like that's n- because here's the deal. I haven't found much usefulness in my self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. So every time I look for God to call me or center me or make me feel a certain way, I don't find much helpfulness to me or the people about me, right? Mm-mm. No. So, so in I understand the desire just to be okay inside because isn't that what we're all doing here? What did you Absolutely. find out your problem was before you got here? The way that you felt sober, you know? Yeah, that that I am <laughs> I am self-seeking, I am self-centered, I am full of fear, and I'm constantly constantly trying to control other people's lives and that brings me tons and tons of pain all the time. Yeah. Yeah, even though our intentions are good. Oh, yeah. Good intentions. Yeah, good intentions. I don't like that thing that I hear in meetings a lot where people are like, well, what are your motivations? I'm like, it tells me that my motivations are always good. So what are you talking about? And sometimes they're absolutely terrible. But if you're going to ask me what my motivations are, I promise you they're going to be good. They're simply that if you do as I say, we'll all be happy. That's the motivation. Always. Always. So what's the problem? You know, the problem is how I feel sober. I feel restless, irritable discontent when I'm sober. And so I try to seek out what's going on around me in my immediate circumstances that are making me restless, irritable discontent. That usually ends with pointing out people I love. Mm-hmm. My husband, my children. Making them the problem. Mm-hmm. What You know, or like what's going on in the world that's on TV mm-hmm. in my face. Like, well, that's why. I'm restless, irritable, discontent. And so it all makes sense when we, you know, when you first get here and look at it like that. And they're like, well, if you're so restless, irritable, discontent, just existing in the world, that you're drinking yourself to death, well, maybe you need a new perception. Uh And so my new perception started at step four. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you go through your, your steps? Was this like a quick situation? Are you dreading this question? <laughs> um, I had a first sponsor and we were going through the big book and then the 12 and 12. Yeah. And I was six months sober and I hadn't even started my four step and I was like crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, when are we going to get to the four step? When are we yeah. going to get to the four step? Like I wanted, I wanted to go through the steps quickly. Yeah. And then um, I was about nine months sober. We were on step eight and she had told me that she had never been through the steps. So we would be doing it together. And then I was like, I knew enough of the book at that time where I was like, okay, I need to get a different sponsor and do them quickly with somebody who has recovered, who's done all 12. And that's when I found my current sponsor right. and we went through the book and then they were slow. I was still, I procrastinated, you know, I was desperate in the beginning, but then yeah. by that, that time it was like, 
I don't know. I was, I had the fire, the desperate, the willingness had dissipated and it took me way longer than it should, than it should have way more painful than it had to be. But I feel like, so that happens all the time. And this is, this is my firm belief, however, is that, but for the grace of God, like if you are willing, so the situation with the first sponsor, you were willing to do whatever it took. Therefore, God doesn't make too hard of terms for mm-hmm. to keep you sober. You were kept sober that whole time. And Absolutely. so nothing was lost. I mean, some comfortability was lost. Um, but nothing was lost. You were kept sober. And we see that in AA all the time. If you are willing, that's why we know that the sponsor isn't the higher power. Yeah. The sponsor isn't the power. They're just the conduit. And if I'm willing, you know... Um, all things, all great things can come to pass for you and countless others is what it says. So then when we go to get a new sponsor or a new way through the book or a new spiritual experience, that's on offer too. But what I kind of see, and I don't know if you agree, but in that plateauing is like, you're now comfortable with being sober, even if sobriety isn't super comfortable. Mm -hmm. So that fire dies out a little bit because it's kind of like, well, this is what sobriety is. So the mm-hmm. desperation, if we're just being kept sober with no spiritual growth, because that's what it says, either I'm growing spiritually or I'm not, <laughs> one mm-hmm. of those is dangerous. <laughs> but if I'm not growing spiritually, like I can be comfortable in mediocre sobriety. That's a terrible th- way to describe it, but not spiritual growth, right? If mm-hmm. I'm willing then I will be kept sober. So you were being kept sober and that's just, that's God shit. That's cool. It's cool enough. So, so when you got to step four, do you do a four column inventory basically now for your resentment? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's how we take them through. And after that resentment inventory, I felt like I began to wake up. That's the only way I can say it, that all of a sudden I have a brand new change of perception that I didn't have previously, that I was wrong for the first time in my life, um, and that I started to see other people, God and myself, completely differently. But it's that was a painful experience. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not yeah. fun doing your fourth step. Yeah. I actually felt really suicidal because it was like, well, because the first time you do it, you don't have any hope, really. All you have is the evidence that you're wrong. I would literally take your baby right now and just borrow him for a week. Like, I would be like, go on holiday. He is so cute. He's like, look at his little round belly. And I'm just dying. These are 18-month clothes. Are they? He's just adorable. I don't, for the love of God, I don't want another child. I just want to borrow one for like 40 minutes. You know, I just want to smush him, you know, just like smush him. He's a good snuggler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's real good at that. He looks like a 10 out of 10 of a baby. (laughs) And I love the age range that we all are as well in our little mother's group, AA mother's group that we're in, because it just... um, yeah, I know. I just think it's also helpful. It's a really beautiful experience. And about being helpful as a mother, um, I'm big into tra- traditions, and don't worry if you haven't done them yet, because it took me years and years to like decide to really do them. Um, but 
So our little, like having a mother's group in AA actually breaks tradition because it's an outside affiliation, right? Just being a mother as a qualifier is an outside affiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not an AA meeting, so it doesn't matter. Um, I feel like there's something about how I was as a parent when I was drunk. So were you drinking with either of your other children? Yes. Mm-hmm. Both of them. And um, I know my biggest secret the first time I came to AA. So I came to AA for like 30 days, 60 days, you know, lying about sobriety. It was awesome. And I remember hearing a mom stand up and tell my biggest secret. Uh And to a room of people, just a whole fucking room of people. Like, here's what I've done. Mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what is happening here? So I, I don't know if I ever told the rest of the story. So I was a single mom with my oldest and like I I saw the pregnancy test and knew I was going to be a signal. Like there was no show, like I I entered into that willingly. Um, But I was, you know, 24, had a job. I was like capable. Um, So, so I, at the time was just dating a a much younger guy. It was just one of those nightmares. This is the, why am I so afraid of relationships because of who I chose with no God in my life. Right. (laughs) Which is, we're going to bring it back around because we're going to be talking about the sex inventory again. Um, But I went to this meeting. So this was before I was willing to do any work to get sober. I was just going to meetings and the woman told my secret. Mm-hmm. And the secret was, you know, my son was a baby. And if I ran out of alcohol and I was home alone, I would just, if he was asleep at night, I would just run to the liquor store. Like I left, mm-hmm. I, I say this out loud on a podcast. I'm like, someone's going to fucking find me and put me in jail because it's just <laughs> such a, such a horrific thing to do. I just, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go to the liquor store and leave my baby asleep. I know what the fuck. Right. So this woman in the meeting stands up in front of 60 people and says that she Uh was the most normal looking woman I've ever seen in my life. She had a Bob haircut. She had leggings. I was like, (laughs) the fuck are you talking about? And so something happened in her honesty about who and what she was as a mother that Uh just struck my heart. And I ran Uh back and I was talking to my boyfriend and I was like, this is what I've done. You know, this is what I would do sometimes. And he looked at me and he said, you are the worst person I have ever met. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so it's not universal that we we can just admit to each other the worst things that we've ever done. Oh, yeah. so not to normal people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's this is my example of why we have an AA mothers group is because um, – I know how to not change who I was, but that woman in her darkest secret helped open up my heart in a way that maybe this God thing who kicked me out at 15 when my grandmother, who was highly Catholic and loved me so much, she would talk about how all the world's problems are um, stemming from divorce and that if you have sex before marriage, you're going to hell. So my mother was an incredible, she was an atheist, but she was like so dope. She was very progressive for her time. I mean, she was the most progressive 
woman at her age I'd, you could ever meet. She had like gay friends when gay people were still on Oprah as a conversation topic, you know, like he's sleeping with a man. Dun, dun, dun. She, you know, she's just so progressive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but with her ace- atheism, she always said like, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You go figure it out for yourself. Um, so the only induction I really had to organize religion was my grandmother who would say things like, if you have sex before marriage, you're going to hell. And I was 15. So that ship had fucking sailed. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, God's out. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucked. <laughs> I was like, huh. so, so when you have a really religious indoctrination about what gets you to God and what doesn't, Mm-hmm. And you've committed the offenses listed that don't get you to God. Mm-hmm. Coming to AA is really scary, isn't it? I didn't know that AA was was religious when I came in. Well, we like, aren't religious, was, but okay, spiritual. I didn't know okay, there was spiritual, right? Anything to do with like God in the room? I thought it was a self help. Like we're all going to sit around and cry because we can't drink anymore. Group. Well, some That's- meetings are like that. <laughs> That's, that's what I thought. I grew up very religious. So my I was going to therapy and my religion had to be knocked out from underneath me before I was even willing to try anything that wasn't organized religion. I was yeah. kind of the opposite of that. And then when I came to AA and realized that it was spiritual, it was like, it was like a, a come to Jesus moment or whatever. It was, it was. I was, I felt like this was what I had been searching for my whole life and in religion, but could never find. So, yes, I agree as well. My lovely friend, he always goes, you're a seeker, bro. Like, you're a seeker. And I'm a seeker. I've always been a seeker. I just mm-hmm. didn't know how. And so one I think the best gift my mom gave me was like, you go figure it out for yourself without any barriers as to what that looked like. And so for a time, I did go to church because I was so and the progression of that was I went to AA for six weeks. I heard about the God concept. I heard about praying for sobriety mm-hmm. on your knees. The very first thing any human in AA told me, I was like, so what do we do here? How do I stay sober? And the woman's like, well, there's a process, but if you want to be sober today, go home, get on your knees, ask God to keep you sober. And I was like, sounds stupid. Okay. And I went home and I did that. And mm-hmm. and weird shit happened that I had to stay sober that day. And I tried it again the next day and weird shit happened where I had to stay sober again. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So then I went back to like listening to my grandma, like asking you shall receive God and started making like demands and requests. Like, here's what I need. (laughs) God demands and requests. How about a pony? You know, here I am like 25 years old. How about a pony? God. And obviously that's not going to sustain you. What does it say in step three? It says like, Oh, you just asked God to run your show. Cool. That's not going to last. It's not going to last unless you actually do the rest of the work of four through nine. That's what it says. It's like, oh, you had a mm-hmm. spiritual little moment with God saying your prayer? Cool trick. Fuck off. It's not going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> cool trick. You had a moment. Now go do the work. So mm-hmm. I didn't do the work, right? 
But I love the God. I did love the God concept. I always wanted a power. I always Mm -hmm. wanted something. So Mm -hmm. in the seeking, when I get here again, you know, after that, I went to church for a while because I was like, I'm a genius, first of all, in my own head. I was like, (laughs) I can have God and wine. Jesus said so. Boom. It does not work. (laughs) It does not work. So that is hell. It was hell. I uh, got drunk a lot at church. The church functions, mm-hmm. I was real drunk at. That was, oh, Jesus. I am, oh, oh God, one of those pains in your stomach when you're remembering. <laughs> oh, yes, that was a good time. <clears throat> a lot of drunken shit at work, at, at church, and that's not my path. It's not my path. I'm not of service mm-hmm. to people. in And Christians that find their connection to God at church found their connection to God. Jewish people mm-hmm. who find their connection to God in Judaism, that's their path. Musicians who find their connection to God through music, that's their path. There are paths out there to God. Mm-hmm. And I I was just on the wrong branch, okay? So I feel like God is a tree, all these beautiful branches and all these beautiful humans that get to jump on their branch. And you, in, if your comfortability lands on any of the branches, that's where you belong in your connection to God. We are all disconnected from God. It's our human experience. Mm-hmm. So when we jump on this AA branch and it starts to make a lot of fucking sense and there's a lot of comfortability and things start happening, we just don't have a selfish branch here, right? <laughs> We have more steps that we need to carry out in the unclearing of head to heart. Mm-hmm. When I am reacting from my head, it's Agent X and she's a bitch. When I'm reacting, oh, and she's terrified, by the way. She's scared. She's selfish, dishonest, afraid. When I'm coming from my heart, there is no fear. There's nothing but love and compassion for you, everyone around me. She's of service. She's an eight out of 10. She's cool. Right? Head to the heart. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) So we now have this unblocking process that those other religions don't have. They just say, ask and you shall receive. Stop at step three. You're cool. You're going to heaven. Well, I need Mm -hmm. to get through earth right now sober. Yeah. And that was the problem. Mm -hmm. Earth sober was the fucking problem. So what do we do? Well, we do some inventories and we find out that we suck. We don't (laughs) suck. We're just disconnected. Okay. We're just wrong. We're just kind of tornadoes because we're in so much pain. And if I'm in pain and I'm demanding compassion, those people who hurt me potentially are in pain and maybe should have a little bit of compassion for them. And we get to our fear inventories and we see, do you, do you have like, an example of what your fear inventories were on there. What came out of those? Um, well, I'm afraid of dying and I'm afraid of the people that I love dying. And I'm afraid of um, basically everything. I mean, everything <laughs> in into like categories. Um, death, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just afraid of like, being alive, actually. <laughs> basically, yeah. Basically. And human like, beings, other people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. My biggest fear we found out was of being invisible. And mm-hmm. I mean, just visually, you can tell that that makes sense. You know, <laughs> like I'm a very sparkly person. Like you can't <laughs> pass me, but you can't not 
look over here. <laughs> but that um that fear of being invisible, um, it's like when people would get into my life, I would just put these demands on them for attention, validation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I demanded some validation and attention and strange thing people don't really like being giving you attention through a chokehold you know <laughs> fucking pay attention to me i'm right <laughs> so what do we really want well what i figure out that i really want is connection and love mm-hmm. absolutely um and that's universal i want connection and love and i just didn't know how to get that in a sane and sound healthy way so when we look at the fear inventory, I had two people or the sex inventory. I had two people on yesterday doing sex inventory with me and we got through the whole page and it was really good. But what I found straight away is that all three of us did a sex inventory differently. So here's how I, I give out mine and do mine today. So on page 69, uh-huh, if you don't laugh at it, I just, you know what I mean? Page 69, uh-huh. Uh, Like, that wasn't even a thing in 1935. So, first of all, don't tell me we're a glum lot. It's fucking adorable. (laughs) It's kind of coincidental. Yeah, it's beautiful. We reviewed our own conduct over the past. Okay, so that's this paragraph. The next two, these two paragraphs are what I call the written sex inventory because it says we put it down on paper. So, there's Mm -hmm. three inventories in step four, our resentment, our fear, and now our sex inventory. Uh, It says, we reviewed our own conduct over the past. Where had we been? So now we aren't talking about our sex partners. And the the reason that I see this as relevant is because, um, again, none of these inventories actually had to do with the other people. They have to do with showing me how I turn up in the world. And a lot of the resentment inventories were on people I'm not in a relationship with. Of course, some of them were, but they we get more clear on our part in this sex inventory when we bring them back around into this column as well. So I'm mad at the world. I'm scared of at the world (laughs) and all of my relationships are failures. Why could that be? (laughs) Who is the common denominator here? So when we do this, I put this into question. So I put, the name of the person I'm in a relationship with. And then we answer questions for each of those people. Where had I been selfish with James? Where had I been selfish with insert name here? Where had I been dishonest? New question. Where had I been inconsiderate? New question. Who did I hurt? Well, in this relationship, new question. So I turn all of these little sentences and commas into questions per relationship And then where per relationship, where was I at fault and what should I have done instead? So Mm -hmm. nine out of 10 of my relationships, what I should have done instead has never been in that relationship in the first place. Did you have those as well? Yeah, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Because you knew, you knew straight off the bat. If you looked at them, you're like, that's a terrible idea. Here's my number. Yeah. Like every single relationship um that I hated there was a man that I stayed with because he wasn't attractive enough to reject me and he did so that's who I am without God 
we went on a date and he didn't seem interested. And I was like, you are not attractive enough not to be worshiping me right now. So I stayed there for two more years. You know, it was the most dysfunctional, abusive, fucked up mind game. And I just showed up and turned up. So from day one, when I was like, oh, he's not interested. Well, neither are you because you weren't even attracted to him. You should probably head on out, right? That would have been a yeah, sane right. and sound <laughs> woman. You should probably yeah. head out. Yeah. I mean, to the point where we would go places. And I mean, my friends were going to run an intervention. They're like, this is just a mind-blowingly bad relationship that I just yeah. stayed there. And yeah. getting to the place with another woman where I could finally tell the truth. My relationships are shit because I have no idea what I'm doing to have a good right. one. Right. And you get here and you hear a lot of therapy talk like my mom and dad didn't show me how to be in a good relationship. Shut up. Okay. Shut up. You've watched a movie yeah. and you've watched TV, right? Like, you mm. know, you have seen humans in a good relationship. So this always, when we start blaming our parents, it throws me off. Mm. You know what a healthy, happy relationship looks like if you're over the age of like nine years old. Yes, you do know. And yeah. you know if you're contributing to being in one or not. Yeah, I knew. I knew that I was not a healthy partner. Right. And so when you put all of this stuff down, were you married when you got sober? Yes, I was married. To the same person? Yes, to the same person. Oh, it's wild, isn't it? Yes, it's wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> and you're like, and then you get sober. You're like, what are you doing with me? Like, that's the I'm like, I'm the red flag you? here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you didn't see this as a problem? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to be told that somebody was finally like, why do you keep saying he's so perfect? He's with you, stupid. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. There may be some issues going on there. And, um, but the truth is, is today, like, I'm not so self-deprecating. I'm about a 7 out of 10 of a wife. I mean, mm-hmm. I do care about him. I do show love. I do. I I cook. I clean. I'm, a, I'm a, believe it or not, see past the tattoos. I actually am a goddamn, like, housewife. Like, I'm domestic <laughs> as fuck. Like, you don't understand. I am so domestic. It's terrifying. And I like that. You know, I love my life like that. I love being a housewife. I yeah. love doing these things and serving my family. Um, The misconception in my mind in my family was in service again, though. Yeah. I place my family and my friends and my partners in positions to serve me, to serve Mm -hmm. a purpose for me. Yeah. I would. I Right. Well, that's like, Exactly. Before AA, I was placing Mm -hmm. men in a position to serve me, validate me, make me feel good. Mm -hmm. When they stopped doing that, because they're just fallible humans that are incapable of the ungodly act of constantly validating me. (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? I don't feel pretty today. You haven't told me enough. Like, what the fuck, right? (laughs) I would just... Didn't you say exactly? Where's the validation for this one thing I've done? Yeah. Even though I've been drinking myself, you know, drinking myself stupid every day. Look at this one thing I've done. Exactly. When people in the relationship 
stop making me feel good, I would simply turn them off like a light switch, go find mm-hmm. a new one to put in a place mm-hmm. of making me feel good. New relationships make you feel good for a little yeah. bit of time. Yep. And my MO it was finding a new relationship before I got out of the last one, you know? Every time. Yep. <laughs> God forbid I be alone for a week and a half till I find a new partner. Okay. So what do we find out by going through these two, this, this one paragraph of questions? Well, we found out that we were using and abusing other human beings is what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We were placing them as players in our show and we were hurting other people so badly, right? They just had the disprivilege of thinking we were hot enough to take us out on a date. And then three months later, we've ruined their fucking life. Okay, so so we find that in relationships with humans, especially sex ones, we really are broken. We are sick little puppies. So we've got this all down on paper. We're looking at who and what we are. It says, in this way of looking at the truth, we are going to try to shape a sane and sound ideal for a future sex life because we want relationships. Like I said, all I'm desiring is intimacy and love. That's what I want. It's like a normal, healthy want. It says, we subjected each relation to this test. Is it selfish or not? So here's the first plot twist. What would a relationship with another human look like if it wasn't based on my need? Ugh, I have no idea. I, know. <laughs> I have no idea. It sounds, I mean, to be honest, I couldn't, There, I did nothing for anyone. Okay. Yeah. So the first plot twist here is like, are you being selfish? And yeah, like you said, I had no idea. I had no idea what a relationship with another person based on their wants and needs would look like. Fucking mind-blowing, yeah. right? Ew. First of all, it doesn't sound fun at all. But none no. of AA does. It says there's a solution to your uh, chronic terminal fatal illness of alcoholism. You're not going to like it, page 26. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says none of us like it. <laughs> yeah. So it says, is each relation, everything I do, is it selfish or not? And I feel, I just love this inventory with newcomers the most because this is where I see my selfishness the most. Mm-hmm. It says, we ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. And in the last podcast, I um, read out, I have a bunch of sane and sound ideals today that um, through a last set of steps I did, like, I just sat with God for a bunch of relationships in my life. I believe the sex inventory you can use with anyone you're in a relationship with. This works for your mother-in-law. It works for your children. It works for people in AA. It works for your best friend. So I went through this list with all the people on my resentment list that I was in a, like a, a relationship with. And those wow. brought out sane and sound ideals for mm-hmm. that relationship. So I have a work ideal. I have a friend ideal. I have a sponsor ideal, a sponsorship ideal. I have an ideal with my son. And those all just were, you know, came from answering the questions per person. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then asking God to show me a sane and sound ideal of that relationship. And so I have little one or two sentence blurbs for every relationship that I have actively in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I should do that. Yeah. It says we, 
uh, is it selfish or not? So God has to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always mm-hmm. that our sex powers are God-given and therefore good, neither to be lightly or selfishly, nor to be disposed or loathed or despised or loathed. Um, whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we don't... Okay, this is our fucking sentence. We have to... So that was this... This is where I stopped off with my last guest. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. So that means that we come up with an ideal at the end of this with Mm -hmm. God. And my last two guests, neither of them wrote out a Satan and Sound ideal. And again, I don't think that it matters, um, but it's just a suggestion. So that's how I read it. That it says that there is going to come out an ideal after your meditation with God and that you just are willing to grow to that. Like I said, I'm a seven out of 10 of a wife. Those 3% that or 30% of the time I fall fucking short. Yeah. I fall short, but what a fake person would that be? If a hundred percent of the time I was killing it, you would not want to even know me. Right. We wouldn't have anything to offer the other person. I don't know why that just like, as you said, it just like really kind of touched my heart because I still get embarrassed sometimes at my behavior, especially around, um, not so much my kids at the moment, but when my kids were littler and harder in that way, I would fall short a lot. I was a yelling mom for a long time, even in sobriety. And the only reason I'm not a yelling mom right now is because my kids are really simple. <laughs> because they're like the easiest. My two younger. Yeah, yeah. They're so self-sufficient. I'm just enjoying them at the moment. Yeah. I'm not a yelling mom. And my teenager um, yelling is the worst thing that I could do when we interact with each other because he'll just out yell me and so I just want to cage fight him I always say I'm like I just want to fucking fight you I was like I'm old now but there was a time when I could bloop your ass like I just want to cage fight him and so um so I'm no longer yelling mom but I was in sobriety I would just get red hot and uh that stuff really I had a lot of shame thinking I should be better yeah just because I'm sober doesn't give me any level of perfection no. And so, you know, how would I be of service to anyone if an alcoholic mom, if number one, I hadn't done anything wrong, drunk, and I mean, horrifically wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's just throw it out there, ladies. If you need a sponsor who is a mother and you are holding back from God and getting mm-hmm. sober because of what you did sober, mm-hmm. I'm your man. Or what you did drunk. I'm your man. Like you drove wildly intoxicated with your children. Me too. Absolutely. The shame. The shame Mm -hmm. of parenting. And so that again, yes, we have this mother's group, but we have this thing that like, how about drinking when pregnant? God was very kind to me, very kind by giving me such severe morning sickness. My last baby, I had it for 33 weeks. Like, I mean, I was fucked, man. (laughs) Yeah. I was fucked with morning sickness. But at the beginning, I didn't have morning sickness for like six weeks or something. And I knew I was pregnant and I couldn't quit drinking. 
I couldn't yep. quit. I'm like you. I knew I was pregnant at like four weeks and then I would still be drinking and it would be baffling. Baffling. I have, yeah. I have lost two children to terminal birth defects, which I contributed to my drinking, oh my but baby. still would be drinking when I knew I was pregnant. Like yeah. what kind of person does that? Like who does that? I knew what drinking alcohol did to babies. I knew that I didn't want to be drinking while pregnant. And the baffling feature of drinking when you don't want to be, Mm -hmm. I'm drinking against my will. This is the step one thing that we need to understand in order to keep moving. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad mom. I just fucking have to drink because I have alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So admitting these things to, you know, oh, you've had your children removed from your home. Yeah. Yeah. I should have had that done too. Like I just like, yeah, they, they were not safe with me, ma'am. It's fine. Come aboard. You know, oh, you drank it around, you drank and drove with your children. And again, that was the weirdest one too. Cause it was like, I knew I shouldn't be doing it yet. Mm -hmm. We have to get in the car for some fucking reason. Most of the time I was going to the liquor store. Most of the time, you know, we didn't have delivery services when I got sober. (laughs) I don't know what would I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if, yeah, and through COVID, I don't know what would have happened, but we didn't have that stuff. I had to go to a liquor store. So some of the times I am doing things against my will that on a scale of religious godliness, I belong in hell for. Yep. And so that must've been hard for you too, with this severe religious or intense religious background. That's like, oh, yeah. it, it was, it was like the actor who lives a double life. When I read that, it like, that was me. I was constantly just afraid that people were going to see like what a sham and what a fraud I was like, I'm going to these Bible studies and I'm hungover at best, you know, like severely hungover, cannot function reading the words out of the book. And I know that, that I am like lost, like I cannot stop drinking. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me, like just miserable. And then afraid to tell anybody, never told anybody, you know, and just repeating that the false life cycle was horrible. That is just, I mean, it makes me sad for you. Also, because you look like the kindest, sweetest little woman in the whole world. Like you look, are you from the Midwest? You probably are, aren't you? Yeah. Are you from Minnesota? Yeah. Me too. That's where I was born. Yeah. I don't look like it though. (laughs) I look like I'm from Minneapolis though, don't I? You're like, oh, you're from the city. I was fucking born in Minneapolis. Minnesotans, I swear to God, I cannot explain it. Like we visually are Minnesotans. (laughs) That's very cute. Yep. So, oh, oh, and then speaking of breastfeeding, like being drinking while breastfeeding too, like instantly. And going up, oh, she doesn't look drunk. I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> I bought strips. I bought breastfeeding strips. And I, they, you could test your milk. So my first one, I would test the milk. And then the second one, I didn't even, I stopped That's testing it. the milk because yeah. I was drinking 
too close. I mean, I knew I, I wanted to breastfeed. Know. Yep. Yeah. And then I can't breastfeed because alcohol content. And then the internet says, well, it'll kind of be okay. And I'm yeah. justifying, ju- justifying everything. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It is something going on within us that is outside our control. And we, when we talk about coming into AA and what's holding us back, having these mothers admit their defects, admit what alcoholism looked like in parenting, admit what alcoholism looked like in the face of our children. And I talk about um, uh, the first week of sobriety or something. My husband was out of the country. He was gone from day one that I got sober. Uh, He went back to Australia because he had to work while I'm like forcing us to live in America. I'm a genius, by the way. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I knew I had to drink or I knew that I wanted to drink and I knew that I couldn't. So what it looked like was, for me. it's okay. I'll just pause for a second. Okay. Give me one second. Okay. So I remember when I got sober, my husband moved, had to still work in Australia. This was my, one of my big plans and designs how to stay sober is that we moved. I forced us to move back to America um, and he had to go work in Australia. So I'm alone with my three little kids, which are literally the age of your children right now. And um, one day I, I was like, either I'm going to go drink or I guess I'll go to an AA meeting. And so I made this little packed with God, I was like, okay, brah, I'll go to an AA meeting first, but then I'll go to the liquor store. And I was like, if I need to go to the liquor store from now on, I'll just go to an AA meeting first. That's all I can do. And I did not ever see a kid in an AA meeting. And I was like, well, fuck, they're going to yell at me. I'm going to get kicked out. But I I am either going to liquor store or AA. So I was like, in the car, kids, you know, we're either going to get loaded or we're heading to AA. And, and I was met initially with like the most loving support uh the old timers came and would like give them lollies and stuff and they were just so fucking nice to them and um some people would and so when I shared I was like apologizing I'm like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and then I realized how sensitive I was because some people would be like oh your kids are fine I'll teach us patience and I was like god what the hell you know, he was just kidding. First of all, yeah. he was just fucking kidding. I was such a sensitive, like, oh, everything you said. And then after the meeting, though, I remember walking to my car with the kids and I remember um, not needing to go to the liquor store after that, which was really amazing. And I felt like this calmness and peace. But a man chased after me and he said, you have beautiful kids. Just don't drink for them. Don't drink because of your kids. And it just gutted me. Like I was feeling peace and calm. And then I was like, sir, I can't not do that. Like, yeah. why do you think I don't fucking love my kids? Of course I love my, like, I can't. And that was like the lowest moment is this man trying to be helpful, obviously not a big book guy, but trying to be helpful saying, (laughs) don't you see how beautiful your children are? Yes, I do. You son of a bitch. And I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't not Mm -hmm. drink a day at a time. I can't not drink because the the circumstances are bad. I can't not drink because I love my kids. I can't not. So that's why we have a Facebook mother's group. And that's also why um, 
there's a, you know, men's meetings, break traditions, but whatever it is that men go through that they do not feel safe enough to come to God and another human being with, if you need to go to a men's group, this is all breaking traditions, what I'm saying here. If you need to go to a men's group to do that, go. If you need to go to an LGBT meeting to feel safe because religion or whoever has told you that you are disconnected off from God and the people about you, go. Go, go, go wherever you need to go to find people that you can relate to. Because this book, though, uh, 1935 language, thou's and these and the what the fucks, you know, like, call me a woman folk. I'll glass you. Yeah. That's what we call it in Australia. So funny. We don't have guns. So we like glass people, which is you take your beer glass and like hit them with it. It's like a thing. People die. It's- Stab them, like yeah. Start them oh, there's thing you can still kill people without guns. I'll tell you. Oh yeah. So, um, you know that's what we're doing here. Like, whatever it is that's disconnected you off from God, Alcoholics Anonymous wants you to feel like you can still get to a place of worthiness to be a part of. Even if that God never turns out to be religious, mine never turned out to be religious. I don't know what it is. Just know it's not me. Yeah. Um, and whatever it is that has made you feel like you can't come, you know, whatever that deepest, darkest secret is, that's those. That's what we're here for, you know? I'm not Absolutely. going to judge you. I have heard of hundreds, hundreds of fifth steps I've never been really impressed. Like, I'm never like, <gasps> I've never gasped. We'll say that, right? <laughs> right. I'm usually very bored. You're very, you're all very unimpressive with your shit, you know? And I'm a murderer and an attempted murderer. Like, bitches get crazy. And I'm still yeah. wildly unimpressed with your murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me one more beer and I would have been there too. Yeah, exactly. He sounded like a good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what we're doing here. It says what uh, we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm. Now we are going to talk about this fucking sentence. Provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. Listen to me. This is the most bullshitted line, misconstrued line in AA. <laughs> It says we make amends where we have done harm, provided we don't do harm to, for others. And then other you'll have people. women go, I'm an other. I'm an other, yeah. I've Bitch, the English language <laughs> definition in the dictionary is you are not an other, actually. Right. You can you Google be. that you're not an other. <laughs> you are not. St- I'm an other. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and that they won't make make amends to their exes. Because they're afraid of what their ex-husband will do with an amend. Listen to me. Either God is going to be the director of your life or Mm -hmm. you are. Either Mm -hmm. you're willing to go to any lengths to recover from this terminal progressive illness or you're not. It says, I'm willing to face jail in my amends. How cute. I'm willing to face jail. Right. To recover. Well, not that. That sounds excessive. <laughs> Bitch, you're going to die. Okay? Right. So if you if no you right. have what I have, you're going to die. 
Mm-hmm. What if God's will for you is to go to jail for three months, go save some bitches from dying of alcoholism while you're in prison? Cool. You don't have to cook or clean. It'll be a nice little refresher. <laughs> That's how I am as a mom. I'm like, so how bad is jail? I'm in Australia. That was my dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that was my dream, just to be locked up for like a month. Yeah, just a, a, a vacation. Somebody cooks, somebody cleans. Sounds pretty nice, actually. <laughs> Mental hospitals sound very appealing to me. Private room ones, fucking do it. You get strapped down there. I don't want to be strapped down. <sighs> I would just use it like a weighted blanket. Be like, mm, let's meditate. I swear. <laughs> we will go to any lengths not to recover as well. I'll tell you what. Yeah. And that's it. Like not making an amend to your ex because you're going to look stupid. You have to admit that you actually were at fault for this abusive, nasty relationship. You have to admit right. that you shouldn't have been there in the first place. You shouldn't admit right. that you harmed him back. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I've seen it again and again. Like I refuse to make an amend to my ex in that fear of what they will do and what they will do is, um, well, sometimes they admit their wrongs. That's what it says. What it really says is nine times out of 10, when I make my amend, the unexpected happens. Yeah. At this point, I have to start looking at, am I demanding how God run my life? to align with my will or am I truly looking to start aligning my will with a higher powers? And at first I get it scary. It's terrifying. There is a solution. None of us like it. Like I get it. But the other option is jail institution and death. The other option is continuing to live in the fear and shame and remorse and guilt of parenting drunk. Uh Um, the other option is losing the kids. The other option is our death in a fiery car accident. God, there's the documentary about the mom who killed all the babies in the car, in her van. And she, you know, they found out she was drinking a bottle of vodka and the whole family's like, she didn't do it. She didn't do it. And my heart is going, honey, you just didn't know she had alcoholism. And they're like, but she was so kind and lovely and a great mom. I'm like, yeah, honey, because we are kind and great moms and we don't love our children, you know, like yeah. when you watched it, you knew she was just an undercover alcoholic, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. I knew exactly. Like the family was just in denial and my family was in denial when I came in. They're like, oh no, you're not an alcoholic. You just need to drink less. And I'm like, no, no, I'm an alcoholic. Like I cannot drink less. I cannot not drink. You know, we get so good at hiding it. They just have no idea most of the time. My husband would say things like, so I, I mean, I'm a smart person. I really pride myself on my intelligence and my, and I'm like, really, I can run shows, you know? And mm-hmm. I was able to run the show to where we had a full-time live-in nanny. And I just convinced him it's because we were fancy and like that that was the best thing for the kids. And the truth was, is I arranged that so I could have my kids safe while I was drinking all the time. I could not get mm-hmm. out of bed. Oh. I was bedridden at the end of my alcoholism. So this this poor, you know, nanny would have to bring the children to me to have affection and love and say hello to them. And then she'd have to take them away. And as long as I was paying her to be a mother, you know, as long as I was, yeah. I, I could just justify. Um, but it wasn't a justification. I wanted to go to the zoo with them. I wanted to go to the beach with them. I wanted to do all these fun things with them. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the compassion that I have for mothers in AA, 
I just, I would do anything to let you know that you're not alone as one, you know, anything to let yeah. you know. So we're a Facebook mothers group. It's like mothers at AA. You can email me to get that little link if you need some support. Cause here we are. Um, so when it says, uh, we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring still more harm in doing so. This has a singular definition of what they're talking about, and it's in our sex relationships. When we are sleeping with your husband, I don't let you know. Yep. When I'm having an affair, I don't mention I don't it to my partner. Yeah. Full stop. That's it. Let it go. Like, that's it. This is the only time. You know, I'm making amends. Yeah. That's it. The only time. Uh my the person i hurt the most in the world believe it or not is the per, the wife of the man that i had like a lifelong affair with you know uh he was my boyfriend in high school mm. we instantly broke up and we just kept sleeping together well he got a girlfriend who became his fiance who became his wife who became the mother of his children and i just was still there insert like this oh god it makes me kind of want to vomit like the self-centeredness of that relationship, the self-seeking that needed, like, oh, it just, that's fucking sick. Yeah. But then I told her, oh, that's so cute. That's so great. Wow. You are a awesome human. So I told her while I was drunk, I told her like with two children, you know, oh, yeah. by the way, I've been sleeping with your partner and literally for 10 years. And, um, Coming back around to make that amend was for the telling. That was the amend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I owed him an amend for staying in that relationship as uh, be, hurt. I was an active participant in hurting his marriage. So I owed him an amend. But the real amend was to her for telling her. So, mm -hmm. so in no way when I'm now sober, am I going to go back around and just mention to wives uh, that I was the mistress or, or mentioned to my now partner that I had an affair. I think he's the one guy right. I didn't physically cheat on, but I'm telling you one, no, no, no. The only one, bro. The, yeah. the, the only one, there's no sainthood there. He was the only fucking one. <laughs> I don't even have one. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we aren't going to go back and tell the partner that you're with, that you were cheating, that throws your harm onto them. Right. This is the only time that that is that is the only thing that this makes sense for. I am willing to face jail, institution, and death. I'm willing to have my ex take legal action against me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get sober. And so in this sentence is what it's talking about. It says, in other words, we trade sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. We're going to keep going a little bit. Oh, God, it's 1132. Can you give me three more minutes? Yeah. It says, God alone can judge our sex situation. So this goes back up to the top paragraph where it says, we are not the arbitrator of anyone's sex conduct. Okay. I spent 34 years in horrific, damaging relationships. Who am I to tell you as your sponsor who to date? What right. <laughs> I have no qualifications. I have to pray to a sky daddy to be nice to my husband every day <laughs> is what it says. It yeah. does in the family afterwards, like pray to yep. be kind, patient. Like I have to pray to be nice to my husband. Yep. 
I'm not going to tell you who to sleep with. Okay. Mm-hmm. God alone can judge your sex situations. It says counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. And if you don't think that telling someone to be celibate for a year is hysterical thinking and advice, we, we aren't on the same page. You don't tell sponsees right. to be sober for a year, do you? I mean, to be single for a year. No, no, I've never told anybody that. <laughs> because, like, it doesn't say be celibate. No, it's such... I just fo- just follow the directions as laid out in the book. That's it. We just read what is written. You're wild. You're wild, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we just follow the instructions. It's weird. So when it says this, like, we avoid hysterical thinking. We don't give you crazy advice. You don't need my opinion in recovery. We're just going to yep. follow the instructions. Being celibate for a year is hysterical. I do put out the suggestion of if you are really looking for a loving, successful relationship, here's my suggestion. Ready? Maybe don't get in a relationship until you've been through your sex inventory. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did my whole steps in 30 days, bro. Like you, this doesn't have to be celibate for life. It doesn't even have to be celibate. But until I looked at the sex inventory with a sponsor, I didn't know who I was turning up in a relationship as. And mm-hmm. so I was attracting people who were at my level. We don't know why mm-hmm. I got my husband. He's way out of my league. Turns out, you know, he was probably a little broken as well. But I was attracting the alcoholics. I'm attracting the drug addicts. I'm attracting the DJs. Oh, my God. Please don't call me if you're a DJ. I'm so sorry. That was, like, so rude. But do you know what I mean? I was attracting the guys who were sleeping on my couch. I'm attracting the guys with no jobs. I'm attracting the guys with no emotional stability. I'm attracting the guys with no depth and weight. I'm attracting the emotionally unavailable because I was. Absolutely. Until I saw that my role in every relationship I've ever had was the problem. I didn't have another way to be in a relationship and it was wildly unsuccessful. So all I'm going to suggest is maybe wait till that sex inventory before you date or don't, you know, it's all in God's hands. So, uh, and we will end it there. Thank you so much for joining me today with your very cute children. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you want to come on and read the book, please send an email uh, if you would like to talk to any of us or figure out how to get into our Facebook group. Uh, If you'd like to help donate as well, it costs a fortune to run the freaking podcast, but it's cool. Uh, If you like the episodes, please share them with a friend. I don't do anything to, um, to promote the podcast because I respect my and everyone else's anonymity. So if you give us a share, that's always really helpful uh, or a review. Thanks guys so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Dude, have you even read the fucking book? 